0: Hey, church, today I am at Ted Cunningham's church again at Woodland Hills Family Church. Uh, Today you get to hear from Ted. He needs no introduction, so just go ahead and put your hands together and welcome Ted Cunningham to the stage. All right. All right, right, good morning, church. Uh, We we have a very uh, special group in the room today. Uh, We are celebrating our freedom as a nation, This weekend, and it's because of a certain group of men and women that are in here right now. If you served in the armed forces, if you served in the military, uh, would you please stand so we can honor you this morning by saying thank you and welcoming you? We're grateful. I don't know if you noticed, they still stand at attention. They still stand at attention when asked to stand. We had one in the first service, and I just want to check in. This one: uh, Is there anyone here who served in World War II? World War II. If you would stand, let me see that they were in the nine o'clock. Is shocking, isn't it? Because they're home napping right now, and he deserves it. <laughs> he has earned it. But they, you all who just stood, have taught us much about loyalty, duty, sacrifice, commitment, and honor. So we say once again, thank you uh, for your service. Uh, this morning I want to share with you about helping your child win. What does it take to help your child win? If you're a grandparent, I want you to listen through uh, helping your grandchild win. How do you help a grandchild win? It was 1977. I was three years old, and I I had to listen to US 99 country music radio in Chicago. I, uh, I usually was in the back window of my dad's Plymouth Valari. And country music became part of my DNA. And at at three years old, Johnny Paycheck had a classic hit, hit the radio, somebody don't give it away yet, don't give away the punchline, hit the radio, and it was on all the time, it was on the charts forever, and it became part of who I was for a couple of years. And when I was five, I attended a, a very conservative Christian school, Marquette Manor Christian Academy in Downers Grove, Illinois. And it was there that I gave my first live entertainment performance. And I gathered my classmates on the playground and I stood up on the jungle gym. I'm five in kindergarten. I'm ready to sing. I'm ready to entertain my classmates. And I bust out this 1977 classic by Johnny Paycheck that goes like this. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. All right, and then now listen to these lyrics coming out of a five-year-old's mouth. Okay, my woman done left and took all the reasons I was working for. Sing it with me. You better not try to stand in my way, cause I'm a walking out the door. You can all join in this one. Take this job and shove it. I can't believe you said shove it in church. <laughs> I, I never would say those words. Well, man, we now we said it three times and. About an hour later, I was sitting there uh, in the principal's office and <laughs> <laughs> trying to explain what I was doing, and uh, I had a mom and dad who didn't obsess over my behavior, and I didn't realize this. Actually, I was probably in my 30s that I started to process this with my parents. They weren't obsessors over behavior, and it, it's come into my life. Some of you are like, wait, 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 what are you talking about? I had parents who were far more concerned about my heart than they were my behavior. Far more concerned about what was going on on the inside than what was coming out here and out here. Because they know, according to Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life, that everything coming out of here and everything that I was doing was flowing from the heart. So whatever was going on in my life, they always wanted to get into the heart. Why did you say that? Why did you do that? What is happening? They couldn't get on me for the country music because they put country music in my heart when it came out on the playground. But I had a mom and a dad who always wanted to go toward the heart, and here's what I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of. I believe as parents, at some point in every parent or grandparent's life, that you will have a moment where you have regret. You'll have a moment where you'll say or ask yourself the question, am I doing a good job I believe every parent has had a moment, and however it comes out in your heart, where you've asked this question: How badly have I screwed them up? Is there is there is there room for growth? My kids are older now; they're leaving the house, or they already left the house. There's there's no hope. My parents live with a lot of regret and a lot of struggle, and I believe it wakes us up at night. I believe it wakes us up, and we start to wring our hands. And I just want to remind us today, we just came out of Father's Day. I want to talk to dads for just a second because I want to honor dads because I believe dad does a lot of little things well. And sometimes these little things get overlooked. And I I just want to share, it's a list. It's not a personal list. It's, It's given to me by many of you. But just to remind you of the little things that dad does. He fills up the car with gas when it's not on empty, but when he knows in the next day or two it will be, and he doesn't want mom to have to worry about it. Now, there may be a few of you that didn't know that's what dads do. And right now, she's looking at you. So just take that. Let that be your teaching point today. Let that go deep down into your soul. He gets up in the middle of the night to check on weather. He turns off lights. He tries to remind his family to do this, but they never listen, and they... I'm sorry, that's just more of a personal one that I threw into that list. Let's move on. He gets you places. He drops you off and picks you up. He can fix anything. Just ask him. He'd rather spend money on mom than himself. Again, there's a few of you with women looking at you right now. Hmm. (laughs) He runs out of the store or restaurant in the pouring rain to pull the car around for the family so they don't get soaked. He scares out the monsters from underneath the bed. He reattaches that chain to the plastic arm in the toilet because his family never hears the toilet I'm sorry, again, that's a personal one. He tells lots of jokes, even though he often forgets the punchline. How many of you had a dad who loved telling jokes but was terrible at telling jokes? Would you go ahead and raise your hand? That was my dad. He always led out with the punchline, and I tried to help him. Dad, you can't lead out with the punchline. You got to establish the premise first. And we'd be sitting around the table, and he goes, have you guys heard the latest Cubs joke? Dad, that's the punchline. you got to hold back on that punchline for just a minute. Tell the premise, and then we'll laugh. Dads. He shakes his head gently in disbelief when his children risk their lives, and then says, do it again. (laughs) He says, I'm sorry. He makes unpopular decisions and stands by them. And I think when we wake up in the middle of the night thinking about our kids and thinking about our greatest struggle, today we want to pivot. Uh, I want you to leave encouraged, inspired, challenged, yes, understanding the most important thing you need to be doing as a parent, moving off of our greatest struggle, realizing this side of heaven, we're probably going to always have that struggle, realizing that these are serious issues as we talk about the struggles, yes, but they're not the priority, They shouldn't be your primary focus, mom. They shouldn't be your priority, dad. We want to pivot as we talk about greatest struggle and toward our greatest responsibility. My greatest struggle as a parent is balance. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I am BFF. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm dictator. I can do this in a day. In the morning, I can be BFF and dictator in the afternoon. I swing from permissive parent to dominant parent. I was at family camp this week, Cannecuck family camp in Branson, and uh, I I said, I'm going to give you 24 hours to think about this, but would you just think about your greatest struggle for the next 24 hours as a parent, your greatest struggle as a parent, bring in tomorrow. We're just going to pass the microphone around, and I think it'd be great if we all shared our greatest struggle and then observe one another the rest of the week living out that struggle. Don't you think that was a good idea? I thought it was a good idea. Everybody came back and I had to shut it down because we could have went on and on and on and on and on. Everybody wanted to share. And I, I wrote a few of them down. I'll share with you. One mom says, if I could just stop yelling so much. Another mom said, I'm too task oriented. I I go throughout a day getting a lot of stuff done, which moms are great at getting stuff done. She says, but at the end of the day, I sit there and go, what conversations did I have? I just felt like everything today was barking orders at the kids. That's one mom's struggle. A dad said, we can't seem to get on the same page with our parenting styles. Another dad admitted, when I discipline, I crush my child's spirit. Another mom said, I have too high of expectations on my five-year-old. Another mom said, I'm obsessed over health and germs. But we fixed her that week. I gave all of her kids cigarette butts to chew on all week long. (laughs) So we're hoping her therapy's continuing well. Another mom said, I parent out of fear. I don't want to be that parent. Another dad ended our time, and he was honest by saying, I'm actually afraid of one of my kids and the harm that he can do in our home and to us and to his siblings. So we could, we could do a whole morning on parenting struggles. We could do a whole series on parenting struggles, but we want to pivot today from our greatest struggle to our greatest responsibility. And in Proverbs 22, verse 6, we read a verse that has rested on Christian parents for so long and oftentimes, we misunderstand what a proverb is. Before we even see the proverb, we misunderstand what a proverb is. A proverb is uh, godly principles for godly living to play out in our daily lives, okay? They're, they're tendencies, not absolute promises. For example, work hard and there'll be a prophet. Well, I know a lot of people over the last few years who've been working harder than they've ever worked, but they're not receiving the profit they once did, Okay, but they're they're tendencies. You continue to work hard. This is how you pursue godly living. Again, not absolute promises. And in Proverbs 22, 6, we get the one proverb that rests on the shoulders of Christian parents. It says, start children off on the way they should go. Train up a child in the way he should go. We love to focus on that first half, but we forget the second half. Again, not reading it as a promise, but reading it as a proverb, principles... And when they are old, they will not turn from it. The hardest part of parenting for me is realizing that today as I speak into the heart of my child and as I, as I speak something over and over and over and over again, it's writing mes- messages on their heart that, again, remember, everything I say and do flows from my heart, that one day, okay, key in this verse, when they are old, that's called parenting with the end in mind. We want to be understanding, even with this little five-year-old we have right now, what are we saying and doing today, thinking about when they're 30, when they're 40, when they're 50? May this be encouragement to the parent right now with a prodigal, with someone right now who has shared the Lord with their child and did the best they could, but their, their child is far from God. Listen, I've been in the, in, the, in the room with a 40-year-old when the light bulb goes off and the Holy Spirit calls him by name. And all that mom and dad said and did for all those years comes back to them, and it's at that moment that he turns and gives his life to Jesus. Mom and dad, as you parent today, the small children, the teenage children in your home, parent with the end in mind. Think about when they are old. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 14 to 15. And today, we're going to look at these two verses where Paul gives Timothy a reminder and an encouragement, an exhortation. He reminds him of where his faith came to him from and, and who influenced him towards faith in Jesus. As he also encourages him, continue on in what you have learned. Second Timothy chapter 3, here's what we read. But as for you, he says, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. What a great verse as we send graduates out of the home this summer. Continue in what has been taught to you. As we have trained you up in the way of the Lord, continue in this. Move forward in this. He goes on to say, what, what did you learn? Because you know those from whom you've learned it. This is a godly mother and a godly grandmother. I'm grateful to say in my life, I had both. Mom, why did you not discipline me so much? I mean, you disciplined me. You corrected my behavior, but you would just shake your head at me. You'd be frustrated with me. And I think my mom had that skill where you freak out on the inside, but not on the outside. I said, Mom, why? And she, she would tell you today, I always prayed as you were in detention, as you spent all that time in the hall and in the principal's office, I always prayed that God would one day redeem your mouth. And some of you right now are thinking about, oh, my child is out of control. No, he's, he's in training to be a preacher. Okay? He's going to be a college professor. He's going to be president of the United States of America. Oh, see, you're not into the humor. Oh, can't do any presidential humor. At the tr- anyway, look, at four people just left. Let's move on to what I was going to share right there. My mom loved to write notes. And if I could encourage one parenting skill in here, this is one of the best ones I think, and we don't do it enough because we have so many, you know, gadgets and devices. But my mom used to write me letters, and she used to date, you know, in a letter. A letter. She got a piece of paper and a pen, and she'd write the date at the top of it, and they were short letters. But I found one from August 17, 1984. I was 10 years old, and and they were simple, fast, and practical. How's mom's boy? You know I love you very much, right? Well, I do, and I'm very glad you're my son. You're such a little gentleman and so polite. Don't ever change. I pray that God will call you to be a preacher or a missionary, but no matter what he has planned for you, I'm behind you all the way. So is dad. That's a mom picturing a special future for her son. I pray that the Lord will give you a wonderful Christian wife to love and take care of. Always treat your wife the way you treat me. I love being taken care of by my men. I was a passionate photographer at the time. This helps the next line make sense. I'm also really proud of your hobby too. Thank you do well. Keep up the good work. Pictures make beautiful gifts. Is that not a mom letter or what right there? Just real practical. Just remember you're my favorite 10-year-old. I love you very much, mom. I still have this letter. This is, the, this is one I print out because I don't carry the one. I still have this letter at home. It's folded like this, and it just simply says on the outside, Teddy. Because she used to send, me, send these to school with me. She'd have them down at the counter. She used to always love to say to me, heading off especially to junior high, don't let the turkeys get you down. Stand your ground. I was a chubby little seventh grader who dressed like Don Johnson from Miami Vice. It was really, <laughs> it was, I had an awkward seventh grade year. That was a long, long, long year. But, but th- can I just tell you the power, mom, the power, dad, that you have? I mean, Paul's reminding Timothy of that right here. I mean, you had two people who invested in you deeply, who loved you. Let, let's continue with that text, uh, 2 Timothy 3, chapter, chapter three, verses 14 and 15. Because you know those from whom you've learned it, your grandma and your mom, and how from infancy, right, from the, from the get-go, These two were pouring into you. The example that you had in their lives, they taught you. Look at the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you, here's the key, wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. They taught you the Scriptures. You are a follower of Jesus, saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And then when I think about this, I I want us to, I submit to you that your greatest parenting responsibility is to make sure your kids know the Lord, to influence your children, to point your children to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the priority. That's the primary. Listen, germs, put that way back on the list. Whether or not your kids brushing their teeth every night before bed, stop obsessing over that. Whether or not they wore clean underwear at camp, I'll answer it for you. They didn't. Did they bathe every day at camp? They won't. Stop making this the primary conversation of the home, although it's part of the conversation, but it shouldn't be the only conversation or the most important conversation because your, te- your kid's can have the straightest, cleanest teeth and, and not know the Lord. Dr. R.C. Sproul years ago did a great seminar, almost 30 years ago now, called Four Kinds of People. When I first read it, I shared it with Amy, and I said, we need, to be, we need to adapt this list to our home and make sure we can answer these with our kids. So we adapted his lecture to, to more of a family approach and looked at four types of children that are in the home today. The first one is what we're going after, children who are Christians and know it. Children who are Christians and know it, and they can give you an answer for the faith they have within them. They can speak boldly about the name of Jesus. They can proclaim faith alone in Christ alone. They can proclaim, I I confess Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that he has been raised from the dead. They're able to, to speak of the hope they have in them. The second type of child is a child who is a Christian but lives with doubt. I want my children to have confidence, not doubt. I grew up in a in a church where we put a lot of doubt into kids and at the invitation we would be asked this question often do you know that you know that you know that you know <laughs> Well I thought I knew <laughs> You put it like that I don't know Probably not I mean I'm telling you I don't want kids who live with doubt I want kids who have a confident faith and when asked about it they're not shaky in their delivery they're able to answer of the faith they have in Jesus. The third type, this one scares me. Children who are not Christians but think they are. And when asked of their faith, they give bad answers. I'll give you a few of them. Do you, do you have faith in Jesus? Well, my parents are Christians. Listen, your parents influence you, but your parents' faith is not your faith. You yourself must profess faith in Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home. That's great for a godly heritage like Timothy had, but Timothy placed faith in Jesus. Your heritage is your influence, but it's not your faith. The other one I often get is I was baptized as a child. Baptism is what you do after salvation. Baptism is the step of obedience that you take where you profess faith in Jesus. It's an outward expression of an inward decision. That is not your salvation. Don't hold on to your baptism from from infancy as your salvation. I hear people tell me, uh, you know, when I ask, are you a Christian young man? Well, uh, I've been doing, let me tell you some of the stuff I've been doing. Let me tell you, you can be a Boy Scout, you can be a Cub Scout, you can have all the badges, you can do all sorts of great things, but we don't believe in salvation by addition, where you just add up and do a bunch of good stuff. We don't believe in salvation by subtraction. Your answer when asked about your faith is not, well, is not, well I stopped doing this. No, 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 no. I tell my kids all the time, there's not a cosmic scale in heaven that when you get there, you step before it, and all your good stuff is placed over here, and all your bad stuff is placed over here, and you're just hoping the good outweighs the bad. No, it's because of Jesus. Faith alone in Christ alone. He is your salvation. I don't want children who, who go, I'm a Christian, but then... They're not. And the fourth one are children who are not Christians, and they don't, they don't give it a second thought. It's never on their radar. And, and mom and dad, if I could just encourage you to make this your greatest responsibility, pointing your children towards the Lord. Children who are not Christians and don't give it a second thought, make it, make it the priority of your home. Now, dads, this instruction to our children comes to you with a warning. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we read, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We have a tendency to rule with the iron fist. My way or the highway, I'll be the loudest voice because I'm the most powerful person in the room. As we teach at our church, and we learn this from Pastor Andy Stanley. When you're the most powerful person in the room, please leverage your authority to help your children win. Don't use your authority to make life good and easy for you. Leverage your authority to help your children win. Grandma, grandpa, when they're with you, leverage your authority to help your grandchild win. When you read the Proverbs, it's 21 Proverbs that speak directly to a father's role of instruction and imparting wisdom and influence. Six of the times it's sharing. Uh, what the role is. 11 of the 21 times, young person, please hear this, is your response to that instruction. A couple of examples Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. When dad begins to speak to you of the Lord, lean in. When dad comes around to give wisdom and understanding that he's picked up throughout his life, lean in. Listen observe, and here's what brings great joy to your dad. Watch this. Uh, in the second proverb, a man who loves wisdom, a man who does what his dad shared with him, a man who takes that wisdom and understanding and begins to live it out in his life, there's no greater joy for a parent. It says, that brings joy to the father, and we just had Father's Day. I told, I told my family, I don't need more ties. I, I don't need, we don't wear ties. I don't need more shirts, Okay, I don't need the new Orvis fly rod with a bat and kill three reel. I don't have, I don't have to have that. <laughs> but would be awesome. I don't care what gift you can think of. It'll never bring the joy to your dad like you living out what he has shared with you. Look at the mom, look at the grandma and grandpa just nodding their head. And when I say live it out, I don't mean just force. I mean, they see something that was placed deep within your heart come flowing out of your mouth because of where it's coming from or out in your actions. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. It just naturally is flowing out of you. Dad shared with you. He, He imparted wisdom to you and now you're living it out. He's watching, and you wanna honor your dad on Father's Day, honor your mother on Mother's Day? Call home, tell them something that they taught you, that you're now seeing lived out in your life, and save the card. Mom would rather hear that. Look around the room. I'm seeing the model, yeah, we would love that. That would be awesome. (laughs) It brings great joy. Eugene Peterson paraphrases Ephesians 6 for it this way. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. That sounds very similar to the New International Version, but I love this next part, how he paraphrases the instruction uh, of the Lord to your children. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. When we were in New York the first time, Carson was five, and we walked out into Times Square. There's a million people in Times Square. Carson freaked out, and all he could do was shoot that hand up And I would grab that hand for that whole weekend. I would just walk him through New York by the hand. And wherever we were going, he didn't care how we were getting there, what mode of transportation we were taking. He didn't care. He just knew, man, I'm safe. This guy's got, let me tell you, when my son's hand is in mine, I can share just about anything I need to share with him. Because that's a sign of trust. I know he's trusting me, leading. And these are the moments, this is what Scripture's saying. This is Ephesians 6, 4 very much matches Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. How do you instruct your children about the Lord? It's the conversation of your home from the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to sleep at night as you sit there and as you walk along the way all throughout the day. Your priority conversation is not dirty underwear. It is not teeth brushing. What's flowing out of you is, do my kids know the Lord are they walking with Jesus? Can they give strong and solid answers for their faith? This is my priority. And here's what I'm encouraging you to do. When the struggle overtakes you, I mean in the middle of it, when the, when the regret sinks in, you pivot from your greatest struggle right at that moment to your greatest responsibility. And when you begin doing that, you are now redeeming moments. You're redeeming the time. You're redeeming moments to turn them into spiritual truths. I brought a couple pictures to illustrate this. Let me show you the first one. I show you this one because it's awesome. That's why I show you that picture right there. Let's hear it for the Taney Como brown trout. Okay. Well, Yes. I tell you what, I could, I'm going to go another 30 minutes after seeing that picture. That is an awesome fish right there. Okay. Everybody calm down. That's a Taney Como brown trout, about four pounds. I'm a passionate fly fisherman. And uh, I'm not saying I'm expert, passionate is what I said. And so when I hook one this size, I, I just go nuts, but let me tell you, I've been teaching my kids how to fly fish. And let me tell you, and I didn't pick fishing, fishing for men, some of you are gonna go, oh, you should've it. no, I'm just, home family discipleship plays out in this stream every time we go down there. In Branson, we have these old guys that love to fish, and one guy's name is Duffy, and he literally fishes Taney Como at the Table Rock Dam 300 days a year. And he's the brilliant one. And the first time I took Corinne uh, fishing, you know, Yoda was standing in the stream down there. And Corinne came walking down, and Duffy saw her, calls her over. And I said, go. I said, he's the smartest man on Taney Como. He catches all the fish. See, Duffy knows how the water temperature, the clarity of the water, how much they're you know, bringing down out of table rock. I mean, he understands how all this, so he knows exactly where the fish are. Show this next picture. This is why everybody fishing stands right by him. <laughs> he never fishes alone. He, you always, like, if you see Kevin Van Dam out on a lake, you go park by him. You cast where he's casting he calls my daughter over, sees what I've rigged up for. He's okay with it, but he adds another line to it, and he adds a dropper and puts a scud on there, and he's fixing it up, and then he steps out of the way, and he says, I want you to take my spot. I go, Corinne, you just hit the lottery. <laughs> this is a big deal. This is like Johnny Morris giving you a bass pro shop. Get in there. She goes in there. She starts catching, catching fish. I walk down a little bit with Carson. I'll show you this picture. Carson on the stream, and and. Uh, You think he has a fish on, but I just have Amy tugging on the line outside the picture, so (laughs) it makes for a lot better picture, doesn't it? No, that's a real fish. If you've never been fly fishing, you can't muscle a trout like you do a bass, and I don't wanna spend the rest of my time teaching you how to fly fish, unless you want that. Do you want that? No, let's stay with scripture. Let's stay with the scripture, and it's it's a sermon. But it's real light line. So you can't just rip them out of weeds and reel them in like that. It's like you have to. And so I'm freaking out, letting line out. And and I told Carson, I'm screaming a lot right now. It's passion, not anger. Don't get too worked up. But we're going to land this fish, get it in. And and Carson's like, Dad, calm down, calm down. But I had to step by step take him through it. I had to walk him through it. But if you'll notice, I was right by his side. Was taking him by that's how you teach fly fishing. I can't teach him fly fishing by handing him a rod, handing him a net, handing him waders, and say, There it is, go do it. I think, I think some past generations really had this down. Do you remember when girls used to cook with their moms? Do you remember when dad used to mow with the son? You remember, we just we, that's how life happened. We walked alongside of our children. And Carson, uh, Carson didn't want me to leave this last picture out. There's his first, uh trout out of Tani Como, and you see, you see he's pointing to the fish, pointing to himself so you don't have any misunderstanding who actually <laughs> caught that fish. That is not Corinne's fish or my fish. Carson caught that fish. But you know, I've told Duffy, I said, Duffy, let me give you a home and a family one. I said, Duffy, the way you teach people how to fly fish is one of the best examples of discipleship that the church could really pick up on. This is all the, this is all the church should be. I see a young person coming in. I know I'm getting emotional. It's fly fishing. Show them how to do it, and then step out of the way. That's what what church leadership is. It's not, come here, let me show you how to do it. Now go do it somewhere else. No, here's my post. Here's what. I felt convicted over this the last couple years that I don't need to be the only teacher at Woodland Hills. We have so many gifted teachers at our church. It's time for me, and I've done this with Adam and with Shay, to say, hey, come here, guys. Let me show you what we're doing, and then step out of the way. Go to the church at Battle Creek in Tulsa for a few weekends, right? I mean, let them do it there. And I'm thinking, this is exactly what the home is. This is exactly what Ephesians 6, 4 is saying. Call your kids over. Show them what you're doing. I see a lot. There are a lot of people came in with small children. I love going up to someone that has a three or four-month-old and reminding that parent, you see this? This is the most control you'll ever have. Because with every year of your child's life, you lose control. And all God's people said, Amen. here's what we're hoping. You're losing control, yes. But with every year you lose control, I pray you replace that control with influence. I pray your children still want to walk alongside you. I have told Amy, this is why we need a boat for the children (laughs) and their spiritual well-being, not me. But it's funny. My kids are 12 and 14, but their activities have changed. What they're interested in has changed, and so what I'm interested in changes. What we do as a family changes because I want our activities to still keep us together, but I want to say, hey, come here. Let me show you this. Let me speak to this, and then let me step out of the way because I'm not going to be here forever. One day we're going to send you out of this home. your mom and I are going to party, like it's 1999. But that's <laughs> other than that, you've got to be ready to go. Our family just took a three-week trip we've been planning forever uh, through Europe, and uh, we were gone for the whole month of May. and and, you know, Gary Smalley says, if you want to have a close-knit family, you have to camp. Camping is the key to a close-knit. Just keeping a family together for long periods of time, establishing chaos in the home, and, and struggle, and strife, and things burning, and all this is very important. Near-death experiences, this bonds a family. Well, we were, we, it, three weeks on the road with your family can be very challenging. It can be very challenging. Like, I, I was saved three times on our trip. I got to be real honest with you. I mean, I was just worn out. At the very end of our trip, our last stop, Copenhagen, Denmark, Uh, we were there. We traveled with friends for a while, but then we broke off on that last day, and we're in Copenhagen, Denmark, and we're walking through a very iconic area that's on all the pictures and stuff, and we're getting hungry, and I said, oh, look it, there's an Irish pub, and this is, you know, my confession to you, I love Irish pub food, and primarily because Ancestry.com says I'm 16.7% Irish. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I made that up. But so did they. Okay, so uh, so I see it. I go, hey, let's go in there. It's empty, but one lady. She's outside smoking and has her drink, and she sends us in, and we go in. We sit down as a family, and we're debriefing our vacation, and she walks in and sits down at the table next to us, and she just hears our family talking. Irish lady, she gets up, and let's just say she's been at the pub for a while. <laughs> she's been there for a while. She walks over right in between Amy and I and puts her arms around us. She says, I've been listening to your family. Now, if my accent goes from Ireland to Australia to Boston, I want you to stick with me, because I have a hard time keeping the accent down. She says, I've been listening to your family. I like what I'm hearing, but let me tell you something. All right, So she's now going to give us marriage advice. (laughs) Drunk Irish woman in a pub in Copenhagen, Denmark. She goes, and she looks over at my kids who are sitting across from Amy and I, and she says this. She calls this of my children. You see these little bleepers? I have to clean this up for you. Because she used the F word. You see these little bleepers? And my kids are like, whoa, wow. What in the world? These two little bleepers, they're going to leave you one day. And then what do you got? I'll tell you what you do. When the bleepers leave, you tell them, bleep off. And I'm sitting there going, oh, goodness. (laughs) Fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes. She says, you got to have something strong. I mean, she's just brushing my kids up. Fifteen minutes. We don't get a word in edgewise. If you've been around Irish people drinking, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Not a word in edgewise. She leaves. And I'm like, why is everybody okay? (laughs) Carson starts to talk. I'm like, hey, you little bleeper. Shh. No words out of you. This is a true story. She comes walking back over to our table with four Coronas. All right, now don't act like you don't know what a Corona is. You're like, oh, what's a Corona? Four Coronas with the lime wedge and all. I'm not making this up. She goes, can I buy your family a beer? And I'm gonna tell you y'all the same thing I told her. Uh, Ma'am, oh, you are so kind, that is so sweet. But I don't drink beer. Uh, and neither does my 11-year-old. And Carson was like, "Dad." No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. But I think that's the answer she wanted because she takes him back over to her table. She starts drinking, and then she comes back. I'm like, "This ain't ever gonna end." But then I looked at Amy and I said, "Hey, this is of the Lord." I said, "We need to we need to pause on everything we're doing and 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 get into her story." And we did. She was traveling through Europe because in February, her mom passed away. And she was actually wearing her mom's coat. She said, I always promised my mom I would take her, to Europe, take her through Europe and uh, I'm taking her, her with me by this coat. In March, she left her husband. And in April, she left her business of 30 years that she had started and ran. She had a child not speaking to her. She was there with one of her other children, but he met somebody that day and needed the room for a couple of hours and that's why he sent her to the bar. And she's sharing. I mean, we're not getting in a word in edgewise. And then she says these words. She goes, I've got nothing. That's why she was so passionate about Amy and I being strong and together. She goes, I've got nothing, and I've lost it all. And can I just tell you, there's no better opportunity on earth to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a person than when someone tells you, I've got nothing. And Amy leans in and says, do you believe you were created for something more than you're experiencing right now? Amy launches it off, and she still, she still won't stop talking. Amy said, there's greater purpose for your life than what you're experiencing, and you're not going to find it in these. Just not. You can drink 10 of these, 20 of these tonight, and it's not going to take you to a place where you're going to find purpose and meaning. And she starts to listen. And then I said this to her I said, I am sorry for how much you have lost. Like, I, go, I got to be honest with you. I said, You know, I know you're really concerned about our marriage, and we do love each other, but we have something greater than each other. We're not one another's source of life. We can't be. And what I love is, as Amy and I are sharing, our kids are sitting there listening to the whole thing. They weren't allowed to talk, but that was, that was her. And, and I said, the only way we're able to love each other is because of the one who loves us. And that, that's where we find our strength and our source and our ability to love one another. And I go, and, and let me tell you, divorce is not the only way to leave a spouse. I go, I may leave her one day in death. And then what does she have? I can tell you this, she hasn't lost it all. She hasn't lost everything. And she starts to look at me, and this is when I proclaim to her the name of Jesus. Let me tell you, there's no greater name to drop into a conversation than the name of Jesus. We sing about it, the beautiful name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus. There is power in that name. And when you bring his name into difficult conversations, you watch what happens. I mean, and it did. When I said Jesus is your source of life, not your mom, not your husband, not your job, not your son. Jesus is your source of life. She... It was the first time she stopped talking and started crying. I've just learned the power in the name of Jesus. I had a pastor one time, I stood at the front of a church with him and a demon-possessed woman came down the aisle, just got right up to him and he looked at her and said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, shut your mouth. And she went, whoop. And if I can just say to the husbands here, this is not a line (laughs) for you to use. I do not want to be misunderstood this morning on that. That was not part of the marriage conversation. <laughs> but in this conversation, in the, in, in the name of Jesus, Jesus is your source of life, she grabbed my hand and she pulled it over and she kissed it. She, she, was, she didn't have anything to say. I said, ma'am, where do your travels take you? She goes, I'm going to Amsterdam next. I go, oh, I have friends in Amsterdam. Would you look them up when you get there? She said, sure. And I... I I took her journal because she was taking notes of everything, and I wrote down my name and Hemiah's cell number. <laughs> and, but I said, I've got friends in Amsterdam, and their, 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 their name is Hillsong Amsterdam. It's a church. I go, will you promise me when you get there, you'll look them up and you will go? And she goes, are they Lutheran? I said, no, they're not Lutheran. Are they Catholic? You're getting a little brave heart coming out in that one. <laughs> I said, no, they're not Catholic. I said, ma'am, got to be honest with you. You're only going to hear one name mentioned at this church. And I said, it is the name that is above all names. And it is the name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And ma'am, that's what our prayer is for you. And we're hugging her. We're saying goodbye to her. She didn't call my children any more names. <laughs> and I, I want to remind us today of that, that you're pointing your children, your greatest responsibility is pointing your children to the true and only source of life. It, it, not pointing them to you. We're connecting with our children too long, too often, too much to the where it's like, oh, I'm holding, I'm never letting. No, no, no. Your, your job as a parent, according to Genesis 2.24, is that they're one day going to leave you. The bond between a parent and a child is not as strong as the bond between a husband and a wife. That the Irish lady had right? But your children need to leave the home knowing who the true and only source of life is. It is Jesus. It's not you. It's not their college. It's not their education. It's not their their job. It's not money. Jesus is their true and only source of life. So I'll leave you with this thought. In this week, the chaos, exhaustion, meltdown, shouting, noise, mess, talking over each other, questions, dirty diapers, running out of patience, timeouts, college entrance exams, Wedding planning, focus on your greatest responsibility, not your greatest struggle. And all God's people said, Father, it's in the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus, the beautiful name of Jesus that we come to you. We know there is power and authority in that name. And we speak it today over our children and over our grandchildren. We do not want the to-do list sports, athletics, academics, and all of that to be the primary focus and the priority focus of our home. We want it to be training and instructing our children in righteousness. We want to be teaching them the Holy Scriptures with with the the Word of God and the Spirit of God, moving them that they place faith in Jesus, and I would even add, at at a young age, and that they would progress through their life running in and staying confident in and moving forward in what they have learned from an early age. May this church and all the campuses, may they just be an additional voice in the life of the child. May the primary voice of mom and dad be speaking these truths, the holy scriptures that make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ that when they show up here on weekends and they show up in small group and they go to camp, it's just one more voice reinforcing what mom and dad are already teaching in the home. For the mom and dad right now who this message, they, they want to be encouraged by it, but there's still so much pain from a hurt and broken relationship with their child. I pray that today they reestablish the priority. Not be focused on the lifestyle, the behavior, the words, and all of that, but they're, they're focused on the heart, wanting that heart to believe in the resurrected Jesus, wanting to influence that heart with messages that, that say, Jesus is Lord. There is a God. There is only one God. He is the Lord. He is our Lord, and we will trust in him. May that be the focus of our home. May that be the conversation of our home. May that just flow out of our mouths every day and out of our behavior every day. And that when we do come to a struggle, which we will probably have as we leave here in the next hour, may we pivot off of that greatest struggle to our greatest responsibility. And it is in the name of Jesus that everyone agreed and said, Amen. Thank you, church.